man. Oh, oh. That's a warm welcome. Good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to be here. I know what you guys are probably thinking. Wasn't this guy just up here like a month ago? And why did they let him back up here so quick? The answers to those questions are yes. And this is part of my job description and they wanted to get my chapel out of the way as soon as possible. <laughs> I hope that's not actually true. <laughs> they asked me to speak about a lesson I'm learning. That's the, the chapel theme if you've been here either the first two chapels of the semester. And again, that's lessons I'm learning currently, not lessons I've learned, but lessons I'm learning. And so when they told me that, my mind immediately went to one lesson from one particular scripture that I've been learning over the past semester, last semester. And it, it, my mind immediately went to this passage in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. So I'm going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 4. You can turn there with me if you'd like to. It's going to be up on the screen. We're going to start in verses 18 and go through verse 22. I'm going to be reading out of the NRSV. Here it is. Hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this lesson that I was learning and when I read this passage and it hit me in a new light last semester was this idea of the response of leaving our nets immediately. Leaving our nets immediately. But as I thought about today and as I thought about sharing this, I thought I don't want to talk about just our response. Because what that is, the, the, the leaving of the nets is the response. And when we respond, we're always responding to something. And so then we have to trace it back a question. It's why do we leave our nets? And then back one more question. Why did Jesus even call the disciples in the first place? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why did Jesus even call the disciples? He didn't, he didn't need to. I don't know if you know this. Jesus was God in the flesh. He didn't need these disciples. He could have still done his whole thing that he was sent here to do. He still could have been born, taken on human flesh. He still could have grown up, done his, his ministry, went out and healed people. He still could have cast out demons. He still could have lived a perfect life. He still could have died on the cross for our sins. He still could have raised again to new life. He still could have ascended into heaven and been seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He still could have appeared to the Apostle Paul, and we'd still have most of the New Testament. He still could have done that whole thing without them. Why did he call them? He didn't need to. Think about it through this lens too. What are the disciples doing throughout all the gospels, throughout Jesus' life, in the three years that he's, they're with him? Read the gospels. I think they're doing one of two things. Some of the stories, a lot of the stories, I think they're just standing there. 
Jesus is casting out demons. Jesus is healing people. Where are the disciples in those stories? You ever stop to think about that? I think they're doing this. That's good. I think they're doing that most of the time. Most of the time. Then, even worse, the other half of the time, they're actually making things worse. They're complaining, they're arguing about who's the greatest, they're doing all these things that hold Jesus back. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. You ever heard this story? Disciples, we got to feed these people. Oh, Jesus, that's going to take so much money. Gosh. (laughs) Children are trying to come to Jesus. Jesus wants these children to come to him. The disciples are trying to stop them. They're trying to stop the children from coming to Jesus. They're trying to cast out demons and they can't. Jesus has to come clean up their mess. Oh my goodness, the transfiguration, the son of God is being revealed in all his glory to Peter, James, and John. And Peter is opening his mouth like an absolute fool, talking when he shouldn't be as the very son of God is right in front of him, making things worse. They're falling asleep as Jesus is telling them to pray for him at the hour of his death. They're in the way. You could think of them as like sidekicks, but like they're actually not even that. You guys have all seen the, uh, the cinematic masterpiece of our generation, The Incredibles, right? Yeah, we all love that. We, we all love that movie. So you remember at like near the beginning of the movie when it's like in Mr. Incredible's backstory and Bomb Voyage is in the building and Incrediboy comes flying into the building <laughs> in his little boots that he made? And uh, Mr. Incredible's like, fly home, buddy. I work alone. (laughs) If Jesus would have done that to the disciples, he could have got more done. (laughs) I seriously think he could have. Fly home, buddy. (laughs) He would have said that to Peter, man. Could have been more efficient. So why did Jesus call the disciples? He didn't need to. Still, he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And so there, even in what I just said and what Jesus says, you kind of have a little bit of your answer. And some of you are probably thinking that, is that he kind of tells us, follow me and I will make you fish for people. So so the why is is sort of there. He's calling them so that they can fish for people. You may have heard it as, I will make you fishers of men. I hate fishing, personally. I think it's boring. Um, But I think I'm thinking of the sort of like cast out your line and I don't like touching like worms and fish and stuff. And so I don't like it, but this is a different type of fishing. They're talking about like nets fishing. Like this is like commercial, like they're, they're getting as many fish as they can. They're gathering all these fish into these nets. And so when Jesus says that, he's telling them, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to make you into people who who gather other people into this new way of life that I am going to show you. That's what he means when he says, I'll make you fish for people, to gather them into a new way of life. But still, I'm going to keep pressing this. You guys are going to get annoyed. He doesn't need them for that. Like still, he really doesn't need them. Like he could have done that by himself. We see it all over the place in the Gospels. People are following Jesus. They're flocking to him. So why does he call these particular people? He still really doesn't need them. 
So to answer this question, I think we really have to go outside of this passage to the broader narrative of our history and of the Bible. And I think it's actually a question that we have to ask of Scripture as a whole. Why did God create people in the first place? He didn't need to. Why did God, when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned in the garden, why did he continue to stick with them and give them more chances? He didn't need to. Why did God, when he chose to wipe out everyone else on the earth but Noah and his family, why did he spare Noah and his family? He didn't owe them anything. He didn't need to. Why did God make a covenant with Abraham? that he would make his people into a great nation. He didn't need to. He didn't owe Abraham anything. Why did he give the Israelites the law to show them how to live as the people of God? He didn't owe them anything. He didn't owe them that relationship. Why did God continue to stick with King David even after he committed adultery and killed a woman's husband? Why did he continue to promise David that he would put his descendants on the throne? He didn't need to. He didn't owe David anything. Why did God send the prophets to the people of Israel and Judah to continually call them back to himself when they continued to sin time and time again and run away from him? He could have let them lead them, let the, the people of Israel lead themselves into destruction, but time and time again he calls them back. Why? He didn't need to. He didn't owe them anything. Why did he come as a man to the earth he had created, knowing that his people would not even recognize him? He didn't owe us anything. He didn't need to. I think the best answer that we have to all of these questions is in 1 John 4, 8. It's these three simple words. Why did God do all these things? He didn't need to. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. Let's go back through some of those questions. Why did God create in the first place? If you've taken Theology 101, you've learned about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existing as love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally doing this dance of love. It's a beautiful concept. And because God is three in one, he eternally has existed as love because he has always existed as love in and of himself. And so when God creates, he creates out of the abundance, out of the overflow of this love. He wants to share his love with his creation and he gives Adam and Eve dominion over the earth because he wants them to participate in his love, in his life in this work that he has done. It's out of self-giving love. Abraham, why did he, again, this, this one is so peculiar to me. He picked this random guy. He didn't owe him anything, but he wanted to cultivate a people that would be able to participate in his love and in this plan of redemption that he was doing, in this work that he was doing. It's completely we, we might call it altruistic or magnanimous. He didn't owe them anything, yet he still gives. You can apply that to any one of these stories. David, the prophets, 
Israel was leading themselves into destruction and God sends prophets over and over again to call them back to himself even though he doesn't need to because he loves his children. Over and over, God shows unwarranted, unmerited love and grace to people because that is his very nature. So the disciples, why does Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who does not need people for anything, really, why does he call these disciples to follow him and to participate with him in this work that he's doing out of self-giving love? Because God has chosen, oh, this is so beautiful, God has chosen to do his redemptive work in the world through people. You guys understand that that's not necessary, right? Like God could have just done everything. He's, he's God, all right? But he chose to work through people, through us. And when it hits you, the reality hits you that he didn't need to, oh man, that becomes so much more powerful. Back to the story of the disciples. There's only one fitting response to all of this. Only one. To leave their nets immediately. When Jesus calls to the disciples and it's clear that, that, he, that they don't need him, or they, excuse me, he doesn't need them. There's only one fitting response, to drop their nets immediately. Why would they not? Why would they not? The Messiah, the Son of God, and even if they didn't know exactly who he was yet, is calling them, and it's clear. I think they sense that he did not need them. So when he calls them, why would they not? It reminds me of when I was younger and my mom, who she's here today, by the way. She's right over here. She's amazing, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> my mom would ask me to help her, like, bake. And, you know, she'd give me the, the electric mixer and I'd be putting it in the bowl, getting flour all over the place, making a mess. She didn't really need my help. Think about it. She could have gotten the job done quicker by herself. Why did she ask me to help her? Why did she ask me to participate in this work that she was doing? I believe that it's because she knew that it would bring both her and I great joy to do so. It brings God great joy, and it should bring us great joy to participate in this work that he has called us to do, although he doesn't need us. Man. And so there's only one fitting response, is to say yes, to drop our nets, to leave our nets. And don't miss the significance, don't miss the symbolism of the nets in this passage. What are the nets for these guys? For Peter, for Andrew, for James, for John. First, I think it's their livelihood. It's literally how they're making a living. They weren't the, the richest, but they were making a living. 
They were doing okay. This is how they were making their money. Second, it was their identity. They're even identified in the passage as fishermen. And so when they leave these nets to go permanently follow Jesus, that's them forfeiting that identity that they had. It's their livelihood. It's their identity. It's their comfort zone. It's, you know, they knew that when they woke up in the morning, what they would be doing that day is they'd be going out to fish. Pretty stable living for the most part. So they're leaving their livelihood, their identity, their comfort zone. What are your nets? I'll tell you what mine are. I'll give you a little glimpse into my life. All throughout my life, I've kind of been a nerd. Like, I'll be honest, guys. I'm not, I'm not going to hide it. Elementary school, fifth grade, I'm pretty sure I got so, I remember getting so worked up because Mrs. Bishop gave me an A- minus in critical reading. Oh, I thought it was the end of the world. It's like, where am I gonna, what, what are my career aspirations now? <laughs> Middle school, I got voted most likely to be valedictorian. High school, I got voted biggest teacher's pet. Not super thrilled about that one. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. I think it's kind of funny looking back now, too. Um, but that shows you. I think it probably shows you. I'm a pretty task-oriented person. I like to get stuff done. Remember when I came here my freshman year and took the strengths finder test thing? I think my top five, this is, this, is, this is so funny to me still, my top five at that time when I took the test were learner, achiever, analytical, focus, and discipline, aka I had no relational capacity at all. <laughs> and so <laughs> I like to get stuff done and get it done quick and get it done well. And so I'm a task-oriented person. We talk about task-oriented people versus people-oriented people. And I don't think either is, is superior, but man, am I far on this side a lot of the time. And being at school in an academic environment even makes it stronger sometimes. And so man, my schoolwork, so often my identity as a student turns into my nets. And that's why this passage hit me like a bunch of bricks. Because I knew that God was beckoning me. Jesus was calling me. Lay that down. You don't got to go fill all your classes, but put it in the right place. I will take care of you. Now I know for some of you, that's not your nets. <laughs> Schoolwork. I know, some of you, you could afford to pick that net up a little bit. <laughs> some of you, it's, it's something else. It's sports. It's, it's being well-liked or funny. It's being, um, having, having, being well-off in the future, having money. It's a job. Some of you, it's a relationship is your net. It's that thing you're putting your identity in. It's the thing you're waking up for in the morning. And that earthly relationship will never satisfy you. He called James and John to leave their father, their family, 
I don't want everybody going out and breaking up after this, but consider this. What are your nets? And man, laying down your nets, leaving your nets is a daily decision. I believe that you can make the decision in a moment, but trust me, you will have to keep making it. Because there's things that try to stop me from leaving my nets. The desire for control, the desire for security, to, to have all my ducks in a row and to know that I'm set. Those things try to hinder me from laying down my nets daily. But still, if Christ has called us, although he doesn't need us, what greater reward is there than to lay down our nets and follow him? So I've been talking about this reward, but what does it look like? What is this reward? What does it mean to go fish for people? I think it kind of takes form depending on who you are, what exactly it looks like. But I can tell you this, is that it means living in the kingdom of God. It means living present to the reign of God in you and around you. It means stepping into your identity as a child of God and actually living like you are one. It means living as Jesus did, living with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, you name it, self-control. It means being present in every moment, not worrying about your net that you left behind. It means being others focused, pouring out. If you're not convinced yet, that's okay but I'll make you a promise. The pros outweigh the cons. The benefits outweigh the costs. The rewards outweigh the risks. I promise. Try it out. If it doesn't work, money back guarantee. living and working and participating with God in this work that he does not need us for, though he has called us to it, is always worth it. You'll fail, we all do, but get back up, get back in the game. It's worth it, he's calling you. The ultimate reward is this fulfillment. You're searching for fulfillment in your nets. I've been searching for for fulfillment in my nets, but your fulfillment will never come through those nets. Your fulfillment will only come by following him, by participating with him, by living with him, by working with him, by knowing him, AKA by following him and becoming a fisher people. So then I ask you, will you leave your nets? 